I am in serious debt, not only to the banks that subsidized my entire life in exchange for my indentured servitude over the next three decades, but also to the gods themselves. It doesn't matter what pantheon you worship, the gods gave us everything that we need to enjoy our time here on Earth food, sunlight, incognito browsing, and two-day shipping. But as much praise as we dole out to these deities, we don't give nearly enough credit to the gods who own and operate the underworld. When you think about it, Hades probably works harder and more often than the majority of Olympians we talk about. The sweet release of death inevitably comes for us all, which means that Hades has to manage a house populated by every Greek who has ever lived. But it's important to mention that Hades doesn't do it all alone. He has an extensive list of Chthonic cohorts who help him maintain order, from the three-headed Cerberus to the bloodthirsty Furies to death himself. But I would argue the most thankless job goes to Charon, the boatman who ferries deceased souls from the banks of the River Styx to the land of the dead, and today we're covering his entire mysterious mythology. Before we dive into the realm of death though, I want to let my fellow appreciators of Death and Decay know that this episode was made possible by all the love that you guys have been showing our Underworld Overlords drop, which just went live over at meremortals.store. Chthonic kings and queens never get enough praise for all the work they do, and this drop is our way of fixing that. With the help of one of my favorite artists, Kinjiro, we produced some designs that are sure to get you on these gods' good side. Then we slapped them on the softest, comfiest hoodies, sweat shirts, and tees we could find. Also, to celebrate our first official drop, we're offering a limited time discount of 10% off. All you've got to do is enter code DEATH10 at checkout. Spooky season may be over, but death is forever, so pay tribute to Hades, Hell, and Osiris by going to meremortals.store and using code DEATH10. Links are in the description and pinned comment. So you know how whenever Chthonic characters are portrayed in pop culture, they're misrepresented as complete assholes? Well, your boy Charon actually is kind of an asshole. And I'm pretty sure I just cost myself a ride on his boat. Don't get me wrong, he has every right to be pissed over his lot in life. Or should I say death? He's essentially a divine bus driver who has to fend off all the desperate souls who can't afford tickets while corralling everyone who can afford tickets because they don't want to get on. But my point is, for once, I don't have to rectify all the negative impressions that Hollywood has given the public. Not even the Percy Jackson movie. <gasps> I'm getting a little ahead of myself though, so let's start at the beginning. Who is Charon and what does he do? Who is your daddy and what does he do? Charon is what's known as a psychopomp, a divine being that delivers souls to the afterlife and or acts as their guide once they arrive. Some other psychopomps we've discussed in the past are Anubis from Egyptian mythology, the Valkyries from Norse mythology, and Baron Samadhi from Haitian voodoo. In Greek mythology, the messenger god Hermes and Thanatos, the personification of death, were also psychopomps. They escorted the souls of mankind to the banks of the River Styx, or the River Acheron, depending on your source, where Charon would be impatiently waiting. If the dead dude or dudette received a proper burial and had a low-value coin known as an obol placed in their mouth, Charon would take that coin as payment and ferry them to their destination, the front gates of Hades. It was here that Cerberus stood guard, and once the souls passed him, they weren't allowed to leave. If the dead dude did not receive a proper burial, they couldn't pay the troll toll. I mean, the fairy fare 
and their soul was forced to wander the shorelines of the underworld rivers for a full hundred years before they were allowed to cross. That was not a fate that you wished on anyone you cared about, so when someone close to you died, performing the proper ritual was a top priority. This ritual was also the extent of the Charon worship that took place. Your boy didn't have any temples or shrines dedicated to him specifically, but he was still at the front of everyone's minds after Thanatos came to town. Unlike the many other gods we've discussed on this show, we don't have any reliable sources that tell us about Charon's lineage, his relationship to any other gods, or how he was given his role. A quick Google search will tell you that he was born to Erebus, the god of darkness, and Nyx, the goddess of night. But it's important to note that this is only stated in a 14th century text called On the Genealogy of the Gods of the Gentiles. And experts believe the author got Charon's name confused with Kronos, the god of time because he actually was described as the son of darkness and night in the ancient Greek texts. The name Charon, which translates to fierce brightness, doesn't actually appear in any of the texts we usually reference. There's no mention of him in the Iliad or the Odyssey or Hesiod's Theogony, which is believed to have been written around the same time. The only psychopomps these texts mention are Hermes and Thanatos, so it seems that Charon was a later development in the mythos. The oldest reference to him that we found is in a play called Alcestis, written by Euripides around 400 BCE, a few centuries after the time of Hesiod and Homer. The play's protagonist mentions her fear of the ferryman of souls, but that's the extent of the description we receive. As far as I could tell, his name is never explicitly stated here. We can find his name and some descriptions in plays and written works that came later, though. I'll get deeper into how he's utilized in these plays next section, but for now, let's focus on describing what Charon looks like. Does he look like a bitch? This may come as a surprise, but Charon wasn't exactly a candidate for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Virgil's Aeneid states, There Charon stands, who rules the dreary coast, a sordid god down from his hairy chin. A length of beard descends, uncombed, unclean. His eyes like hollow furnaces on fire. A girdle foul with grease binds his obscene attire. Seneca describes him as an old man clad in foul garb with haggard cheeks and an unkempt beard. A fierce ferryman who guides his craft with a long pole. These less than flattering descriptions match his portrayal on ancient Greek vases about perfectly, though I would like to hear more about how his girdle got so greasy. Now before we dive deeper into these texts and discuss the journeys that Charon would take with his passengers in myth, I want to discuss a much less morbid journey that you and I can take together a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Greece. You heard that right. After more than four years of talking about Greek mythology, we're going to the land that gave birth to it, and you're going to want to hear what the itinerary has in store. The trip will start off in Athens with a dinner, followed by an evening walk in the Plaka, Athens' oldest neighborhood. We'll spend the entire next day in Athens, visiting the Parthenon and the Acropolis. Then, on day three, we'll head out to the Peloponnesus, where we'll tour Mycenae and taste some authentic Nemean wine. On day four, we'll visit the Theater of Epidaurus, followed by a walk on the scenic Naphtlia waterfront. On day five, we're going sea kayaking in the Argolis Gulf. And on day six, we'll head back to Athens, where you'll have a free afternoon to spend however you want, as well as a farewell dinner to say goodbye to all the friends you made that week. This trip is scheduled for September 7th, 2024 to September 13th, and will cost $3,800, but there's a few things to keep in mind. That fee will cover all of your hotel bookings for the week, your shuttle to and from the Athens airport, the local tour guide that'll be joining us the entire time, 
as well as all the activities listed on the itinerary, including the welcome dinner and farewell dinner. Oh, and there's a $200 early bird discount for those who sign up right away. And just to be clear, you do not have to pay the entire cost up front. A 25% deposit is all that's required and the rest just has to be paid off 90 days before the trip. If you have any questions, I've already posted a Q&A that should answer them all. But just a heads up, there's a limited number of spots available and our field trip to Ireland filled up quick time. So if you know you want to see Greece before Thanatos comes for you, I'd recommend hitting that link in the description and reserving your spot today. So unlike Zeus and Zeus's wiener, Charon doesn't appear in a whole lot of myths. He is mentioned from time to time and occasionally he plays a bit part in a much larger story, but unfortunately this isn't the MCU, so not every single god is gonna get their own spin-off series. That being said, we can learn a lot about Charon and the few myths he's featured in, and I was surprised by how funny some of them were, even the ones that weren't meant to be. The Mad Hercules, a tragedy written by a Roman Stoic philosopher named Seneca, is a prime example. It follows Heracles as he descends into the underworld to retrieve Cerberus for his twelfth labor. As we established last section, Charon dropped off his passengers at the gates of Hades where Cerberus stood guard. So when Heracles needed to pick up the pup for a brief dog-sitting stint, he told Charon he needed a ride there. Upon hearing this demand, Charon puffs out his chest and tells Wonder Boy that he isn't going anywhere. Or at least he tries to. He doesn't even finish his sentence before Heracles yanks the oar out of his hand and just starts rowing himself. That was written sometime around the 1st century CE and is actually one of the latest on this list. But the reason I mention it is because there's another play from 500 years prior that references Heracles' underworld excursion. The Frogs, written by Aristophanes, follows Dionysus, the god of wine and merrymaking, as he travels to Hades with the goal of bringing back some of the dead playwrights. When he tells Heracles about this plan, Heracles laughs and asks him how he's going to get there, and Dionysus replies that he'll just take the same route the hero took when he went to fetch Cerberus. And it turns out Dionysus meant this literally. He even goes so far as to disguise himself as Heracles, presumably so Charon doesn't try to stop him from getting on the boat. I'm not sure if it works as well as he intended though, because Charon tells Dionysus to row the boat, and unlike Heracles, he complains the entire time. He whines that he doesn't know how to row, then when Charon instructs him on proper technique, he starts complaining that his arms are sore and that his hands are covered in blisters. Then, when they finally arrive at their destination, Charon still makes him pay two obols. I guess the fare only covers getting into and riding the boat, not Charon taking you there. At least that's the case in the play. We don't usually take comedies as canon mythology, which is unfortunate because this next one is pretty great. Called Dialogues of the Dead and written by the Greek satirist Lucian, chapters 3 through 10 follow a character named Menippus on his journey through the underworld. Menippus is based off the real-life cynic satirist of the same name who is known for making a mockery of all things that Greek society held sacred. In Dialogues of the Dead, his cynical beliefs are taken to the extreme when Charon ferries him across the river, only to find out that Menippus didn't bring any money to cover his fare. Then, the two start arguing back and forth, with Menippus saying, you can either let me out here or take me back the way we came, because I've got nothing but a bag of beans to pay you with. Charon is not happy about this, but he doesn't seem to want to deal with Menippus' mockery for a whole nother boat ride. 
so he lets him out, with a vague threat that he never wants to see the cynic ever again. Another interesting aspect this comedy presents is that similar to the last one, Charon isn't the only one rowing the boat. While he and Menippus are bickering, Menippus says that his ride wasn't technically free anyway because he had to paddle the oar and dump out any water that got inside. What's more, he said he did it all without complaining, unlike the boat's other passengers. Once again, we need to take comedies with a grain of salt, but this isn't like Aristophanes' birds where Zeus loses his crown to some mere mortals who teamed up with a battalion of birds. This is a small detail that doesn't disrupt the overall mythos, so if you want to believe that Charon sometimes made people pay to ride in his boat, then had the audacity to make them row it themselves, I'm not going to stop you. Hell, I might just join ya. But those are a few myths that shed some rarely seen light on the soulless boatman. He does show up in a few others I didn't mention, like he reluctantly gives the Roman hero Aeneas a ride, as well as Cupid's lover Psyche, and even Orpheus the musician, but those are all very brief appearances and don't tell us anything about him that we don't already know, so I left him out to avoid sounding redundant. I'm eager to hear your thoughts on Charon, though, so be sure to share them with me on social media. Links to the official Messed Up Origins Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter are in the description. Before you head out, though, make sure to sacrifice those five-star and follow buttons to the gods to get more messed up mythology and folklore sent to your device every Friday morning. And if you want to properly worship our Chthonic kings and queens, remember to head to meremortals.store and use code DEATH10 for 10% off the latest drop. I'll see you all again next week when we dive into some Norse mythology. Until then, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.